Go ahead and pick your speed up your number one now. Runway 27, clear to land green dot. Welcome to Oshkosh, guys. Hello and welcome to The Green Dot, EAA's podcast for anyone and everyone who loves aviation. The Green Dot, sponsored by GE Aviation. I'm Hal Bryan, and I'm one of your hosts on The Green Dot. I'm senior editor at EAA for print and digital content and publications. On my left today, out from behind the board, it's our producer. Ty Windish, also known as the assistant editor here at EAA. And across the table, Ty, we have a guest. We have... A returning guest, and I think it's safe for all of us to say because we're scared to say otherwise. He's our best guest. Yeah, sure, we can go with that. Sure. Um, for his fourth official appearance on the Green Dot, we have EAA CEO and Chairman of the Board Jack J. Pelton. Jack, how's it going? It's great to finally be back on the Green Dot. It seems like I have forever. I don't know what happened. I don't. I I know there was the lost episode, and I thought I might have been banned. But thank you for inviting so, me back. Well, it's our pleasure. We're glad to have you back. Glad to have you take time out of your busy schedule. You know, we don't really talk about that lost episode, Jack. No, we're yeah. gonna we're gonna get comments about the lost episode now for yeah. sure. Well, that's okay. That's uh, let's just say it's lost for a reason. <laughs> yeah, we all know why. It was. I mean, for for those of you listening, it was just terrible. I mean, <laughs> we tried to we tried to have a good episode, and it just started going downhill at a rate we decided. It was best that this thing never see the light of day, or actually be heard on the on the sound of day, or whatever, <laughs> whatever that works. Yeah. yeah, but here we are. Here we are back again. So uh, as we're recording this, uh, we're just a couple of weeks before the end of the year. It's hard to believe. We are so looking back on uh, looking back on 2019. Let's start with uh, uh, something nice and easy and measurable, like uh, like membership. Membership has grown. You know. We've had phenomenal growth, actually, when you look at it over the last five years in membership, and we are now at a place where our memberships, uh, when you look at all types of memberships from families to students to everybody else, so well over 240,000 members, which we haven't seen that number before. So this is a great, great story that I, I think is all about the value that EA is bringing to the aviation community and people are voting with their membership cards by being a part of it. And our, our members, when we send out survey work, do, do indicate that the publication is one of the number one reasons that they belong to EA. And you think about how it's evolved, how it's improved, you know, the, the pictures, the quality of it, the diversity of articles, the, the value. I mean, it's 40 bucks. I mean, you can't beat that for a subscription. Uh, I think of a lot of other subscriptions that are out there that are, you know, far more expensive than that without nearly the content. So bravo, boys. Thanks for doing a great job on that. Well, we hear from a lot of people who uh, open it up, read your column, and then just set the magazine aside for a while, too. So It's, it's a naturally. moment of reflection, Hal, is what that's all about. <laughs> uh, let's hop from publications, as, as much as I would like to sit here and have our praises sung a little more, <laughs> to programs. Uh, EAA, obviously known for so many programs that have done so much good for the general aviation community. A new one on the scene this year was the Ray Aviation Scholarship Program which if you haven't heard, I don't know how you haven't heard, it's been everywhere, but providing more than 100 flight training scholarships through the chapter network. What are your thoughts on this program and why has it been so successful in year one? You know, first of all, since we're reflecting on 2019, this probably has been the most significant new program that has occurred in a long time at EA. Very, very proud of it. It, it has a uh, an impact that's far-reaching, very comprehensive. It's going to make the difference in kids' lives. I, I The Ray Foundation stepped up. Uh, provided the funding for us to to do something different. The challenge was 
in flight training today, it's about an 80% dropout rate. Call it 60, 70, 80, but 80 is about what it is. They said they believed in us that through our chapter network, if we picked people who were engaged in the chapter as young people, which means they were already part of the, the chapter and involved, and the chapter was willing to mentor them through the flight training process, that we could reverse that trend and create 80% success rate. And we gladly took that on because we believe strongly that that is one of the ingredients that makes flight training more successful is having that mentorship and somebody that's that's helping you along the journey. Um, to date, we've had a significant number of people uh, solo. We've had a significant number of people actually get their private pilot's license. And we are actually well above 80% on those who have completed. And I mean, yeah, 80% of the people who have entered the program. So um, that may be 80% of those who have proceeded to the point of getting a check right have passed it. There has been no, I think there's been one or two dropouts, but that was because of circumstances of either moving or airplane not available. But the data early on is really convincing, and the Ray Foundation believes in it. They're going to continue to fund it. Uh, it's it's a huge program for us and a huge program for getting youth through, the, through their pilot's license. Well, we've had uh, Ray scholars that have not only passed their check rides, but they themselves are starting to fly young eagles. <laughs> and you think about that in the space of a year, you know, going from essentially somebody who would be a young eagle to flying young eagles with the with the support of these funds that that the foundation entrusts us with, and they're they're uh, supporting us even more strongly in 2020. Isn't that right? They, they are. Uh, they continue to increase the amount of money that's being made available for these scholarships, which is really encouraging. Um, you know, as long as we can con- continue to keep delivering the numbers. But but to your point also, Hal, I think it shows the importance of the chapter network and the value that it brings to help someone get immersed in aviation. Right. And it's it's been so exciting uh, for us, too, as we publish uh, stories on our blog and through eHotline newsletter and stuff every week. Uh, we just had a meeting as a recording, had a meeting yesterday and said, you know, we've got to spread spread out uh, the great Ray Scholar news that we get because we're getting so many uh, week to week. I know that sounds sort of silly, but, you know, here's another one that says solo. Here's another one past their private check ride. And we're going to celebrate every single one of them. But we need to make sure that they, you know, <laughs> that they get their, the attention they deserve. It's a great problem to have. You're here. But, but I think it's, it's uh, fascinating that everybody searched for how do you how do you create more success in the flight training as far as completion and i think we're on to something here again through the chapter network yeah and then i mean just speaking of of chapters what are you hearing from chapter leaders i know you have conversations with all sorts of eaaers throughout the year about the strength of aviation in local communities you know uh, it's been hit or miss i mean i think with a good economy we're seeing as a whole recreational aviation is is back to being stronger than it was say back to the 2011 time frame so we're seeing that uptick the you know the old saying goes is a uh, high tide rises all the all the ships so we're we're seeing some of that um I think that at the local community level we still have a lot of groundwork to do to make sure that the communities buy into understanding the importance of an airport the importance of what the chapters do there in helping develop young people, um, how it impacts the, com- the economy in the local area from a positive standpoint. So this year in 2020, where I know we're going to talk about 2019, but we're going to start working uh, harder out of the chapter office to have more of an outreach to help the chapters work at the local level with the airports to understand all of that so that we don't cause airports to go away. 
And uh, again, sort of speaking of, of chapters and outreach and their importance uh, to all this, um, you know, we've got to, we always have to touch on young eagles and look at, uh, at us that we're, we're somewhere uh, either just, just at or very quickly approaching 2.2 million kids, which is just absolutely, absolutely staggering. Uh, when you look back at the foundation of that program, uh, it, you know, back in the uh, early 90s and that goal to reach a million kids by 2003, the 100th anniversary of the Wright Brothers uh, powered flight, a lot of people swore it couldn't be done. Yeah, and it has now become uh, something that is, is only EA has done. It's become very foundational to our mission as to how we get young people into aviation. And each year we continue to add another sixty to 70,000 young people who are taking those first flights. Very, very important element of what we do at the chapter level. In 2019, we really stepped back and said, okay, we've flown 2.2. Uh, we have wonderful value for them in order to get the sporties learn to fly course with it, uh, a logbook, and an association with a chapter. But we keep asking the question as to how do we continue to keep young people engaged between age eight and seventeen when you can actually start learning to four sixteen, learning to formally fly by adding programmatic activities to to get young people engaged. Um, 2019, we, we launched the Virtual Flight Academy, which is Microsoft Flight Simulator or Prepare, I think is the other software base, um, that you can download as a member for free the, the four or five lessons, and then there's a upcharge to add lessons to it that gives young people a chance to fly on their simulator at home. We created an association with the uh, AMA, which is the modeling group, to be able to do a chapter build of an RC airplane and go out and work with an AMA chapter to learn to fly. Uh, we've just done all sorts of things to try to keep that engagement of a young person up to that time where they can actually start beginning to do their flight training. And we're really going to double down on that in 2020. You know, that uh, uh, the build and fly program with AMA is something that, that I think is just fantastic. And it seems like such a natural idea that it, the, the second it popped up, it just felt like, wow, this is 20 years overdue. Um, and what a what a terrific way we we hear all the time, uh, you know. Ty and I interviewing people for stories. We're always almost whatever the age. If somebody has a, a passionate interest in aviation, so much of the time, uh, and we'll hear it on the show. You know, it started. I started building models, then I started doing this, and I started doing that. And it's uh, it's the point where it, it's it's uncommon even now uh, to find somebody who didn't have that sort of that modeling experience. So that can be so crucial. And that what a great kit that Sig Cadet. That's uh, that's what I learned to fly as an RC pilot oh, decades ago, about a million years ago. It wasn't electric back then, but uh, anyway, just just big fun fun was airplane there to build and fly. Back then? There was okay. they had invented that. It I wasn't, wasn't just sure a, if it was cardboard. It, it wasn't or, just a bunch yeah. of granite sort of shaped like an airplane, well, chiseled out of a stone. Yeah, actually, I, we rode on the backs of pterodactyls and. <laughs> Basic flight dynamic lessons that you learn through the yes, the, exactly. wing, the, the uh, wing form of, of a pterodactyl. But, you know, in 2019, uh, as we come to a close, we've started meeting with uh, other manufacturers as to in 2020, how are we going to even grow that learn to fly from the RC standpoint? And got some pretty exciting news coming very, very soon. I was involved in a meeting just yesterday with, a, again, a more comprehensive flight simulation of RC 
airplanes that will be offered to men to members that has training modules so right. think about a three-channel rc that's got rudder elevator and power and you start it introduces the rudder first and then you fly that around the simulator and then introduces the elevator and it introduces power but they're working on a very specific where a young person could take that and then go out and actually fly with these new technologies of safe which is uh, upset recovery and geofencing and all that kind of stuff it's I, i'm very excited about we're just continuing to push the envelope and grow 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 that offerings that we have to the young people that's incredible and i think it's it's going to be great i you know we talk about the 80 percent success rate and in uh, in full scale flying i have no idea what that sort of works out to be what the equivalent might be in rc flying so you've got i think probably uh uh you know, a lot more negative experiences up front if you're just going to go out and try to do it on your own. But the <laughs> yes. consequences aren't quite the there's same. A, there's a lot of foam airplanes. I have foam J3 Cubs that I've crashed many, many times exactly. to the point of they were yellow and then they ended up being white because of the foam that was exposed. <laughs> it was just a mess. Or silver because yeah. of the duct tape that gets wrapped yeah. around them. And my old joke was, you know, go out to the flying field with an airplane and come home with two grocery bags full of debris and then hope that uh, hope that you can sort of get it going again. And that's part of the experience. But if you can get kids successfully flying a little bit sooner and a little bit earlier but on think with about the simulation new, stuff. The new RC airplanes, though, have the envelope protection that Garmin's putting on their, you know, automatic landing, yeah. auto, auto land features. And they're putting it in RC airplanes to so where some of the manufacturers are looking me in the eye and saying, with about 80% success rate with nobody helping you, you can put it in the air and it won't go upside down and and head straight to the earth. It's got wow. it's got the technology in it to ride itself and keep it under control, which is they're going to make it easy. <laughs> That's right. They are um, switching gears a little bit. You know, model aviation uh, over in in some circles might be known more as UAS. Um, there's a lot of a lot of various issues, you know, in Washington D.C. relating to to our field of general aviation, as there always are. UAS being one of them this year. I know that you and the advocacy team here at EAA spend a lot of time in D.C. Uh, advocating for, for our members and our membership. What possibilities and what threats are there for sport aviation right now in, in Washington? Uh, we do spend a lot of time in D.C. on these issues. You know, Sean Elliott that runs our advocacy team with Tom Charpentier and Lily Johnson do a fantastic job of of being right in the thick of things. I try to uh, weigh in when it's appropriate. The, the number one issue we have is with the advent of commercial UAS, eventually urban mobility coming and, and just a, an awful lot more of those kinds of products up in the air is how do we fight to protect the airspace to ensure that we can coexist, if you will, and, and what are the rules of the road that are going to define that coexistence? We've been pretty adamant about um, understanding that 400 feet and below should be modeler airspace. But once you get above that, we have to make sure that they don't demand a new level or unfair equipage on our airplanes, that um, they're going to have to figure out how to get the UASs to have see and avoid on those without, you know, we've been through the burden of ADSB, you know, go way back to transponders and a lot of other things. Um, we've got to find a way to, to figure out how we can make this work with the understanding the, the FAA, at least to date, is saying we are not going to carve out uh, – lanes, if you will, of airspace reserved just for UASs, that we, we, the FAA, want this to be an airspace system that can accommodate both fixed-wing, rotor-wing, UASs, uh, urban mobility products. And so we're hard at work at the table as to how do you how do you make that happen. I'm hoping that, you know, on the UAS side, 
companies like uh, Intel and other people are making a lot of very, very low-cost, you know, void types of technology that can do the job and, and to a high um, high level of, of design, you know, nine, 10 to the minus ninth kind of, kind of designs at extremely low cost. But the one thing that we haven't demonstrated is can you certify those pieces of equipment to the existing certification rules? So one of the big outputs that may come out of this is the FAA rethinking certification rules that will allow price points of this type of equipment to be really cheap and something that we can easily adopt into uh, their their product, UAS products, and, and possibly into ours. It's fun. I mean, it's evolving. Technology's pacing everything. Price points are lowering. It's uh, be interesting to see where it goes. But we do have to protect the rights of, you know, guys like me. They're out in a steerman at a thousand feet over the countryside to make sure that uh, somebody that's flying a package delivery can see me and avoid me because it's going to be tough for me to see them. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, and speaking of, of uh, certification. Uh, can you tell us where Mosaic is these days? Yeah, Mo- Mosaic was an initiative that started out with an acronym of something else a while ago and morphed into Mosaic because every good activity in Washington, D.C. associated with the FAA has to have an acronym associated with it, whether it makes any sense or not. And I think that acronym changing over time is kind of a badge of honor. Like I say that shows that this idea has and, been trying for a while. And actually, Mosaic, I think, better represents what this is because it's a it's a – a variety of pieces that come together, that fit together of, of regulatory changes with really three big cornerstones to it. The first piece of it is dealing with light sport aircraft. And I say dealing with – light sport has been tremendously successful over the last 15 years. There's a lot of designs out there that are really good, that are working. They're low-cost entry points, uh, no medical needed. But the practicality of the artificial weight limit that was established – um, has prevented it from being a good flight trainer, from being having reasonable useful loads, from having two decent-sized human beings in full fuel be able to fit in it. Um, and there are other designs that are certified designs that are already proven with enormous safety records that we argue, let's get rid of the artificial weight limit and use the safety continuum that FAA continues to talk about to put a performance-based uh, system that would determine what type of product would fit in the light sport category. Where we are today, and I was with the FAA administrator on Friday, Friday morning, with the other associations, they're in agreement that this does need to change, that we're missing an opportunity to include, be inclusive of other designs that are out there that weigh over 1320. Um, we're, we're hindering new aircraft designs because you are limiting them on weight and they don't see the market big enough. And so they're all in agreement that this weight is going to change. They haven't decided it's not going to be an arbitrary number. A lot of it will have to do with flying characteristics, safety records, uh, speeds, weights. It'll be a kind of a uh, an entire algorithm, if you will, of, of pieces. But you know, I can very easily see at some point in time where an airplane like a 172 will be allowed to fly under the category of light sport, which is uh, – very exciting and certainly helps you know one of the forcing factors is this pilot shortage and we've got to find products existing and new products to get into the flight training market quickly to be able to do the training that's necessary and right now the lsa as it's defined isn't cutting it uh fa's on board with it that's what's exciting is is i I, we continue to pitch to the new administrator what mosaic's about and on that one he says i get it I, i understand then you've got a safety record that supports the change the second piece of mosaic was dealing with the uh, home built, the experimental amateur built market, and kind of the 
the, the thinking around this is uh, today, if it weren't for the experimental amateur built market, general aviation from a recreational standpoint would have far fewer airplanes flying. There's more EABs being registered on an annual basis than all of the Part 23 manufacturers put together, Cessna Piper, Husky, Beechcraft. Uh, these kits have gotten very sophisticated. They're extremely well-engineered. They've got good safety records. They have great economics on them from a performance, fuel burn, useful load, and they are being widely adapted. The market acceptance on it is huge. There's people want to – you look at a RV7 – $120,000 IFR equipped, 200 plus miles an hour. Uh, what, you know, what, what out of a factory can compete with that? But what we don't want is some of our friends who can't change a bicycle tire to go build one. So we really are trying to work on helping people understand the rules that while we still need the 51% rule to be adhered to, that maybe Jack needs a buddy who is, you know, really <laughs> a well. Uh, a professional mechanic that can help guide him through the process and help him with the build. And we're, we're struggling with the names of, you know, is it is it professional assist or what exactly it is. But in the name of safety uh, and higher quality products, it, it clearly has a huge benefit and will allow the continued growth. It's also noted that, that from a safety standpoint, these airplanes, from a safety record standpoint, over the last 10 years, they've been a 40% improvement in safety overall. But the airplane kit design and airplane itself has not been the issue with these accidents, with any accidents. It's always usually gets down to loss of control or the, or piloting. Not the air, the airplane's not breaking up. Right. So it's a, a, you know, a a huge piece of continuing to grow the, the EAB market. The the last piece that um, I'm trying to gain support from my Part 23 friends is, we have a you know 200 plus thousand old airplanes. From 1954, Cessna 195s to old Beechcrafts to a lot of other planes. I, I refer to them just as legacy airplanes. That the cost of entry is not expensive. So a Cessna 150 today, you can probably buy from anywhere from fifteen to $25,000. Uh, it was just reported a couple of weeks ago. The average used car price in the United States is $24,000. So think about okay i can get i can get access to buying an airplane but can i maintain it keep it and is the cost of ownership going to be uh viable for me financially and we have to change the rules to allow the legacy airplanes to have access to uh, parts that are used on experimental home belts the safety enhancement parts the stuff that no longer is in production that would cause you to have to retire your airplane i mean actually just sit it on the ground and walk away from it a path to build parts and keep things keep things going, not in the traditional PMA and certified world because it's too expensive. That certification is way too expensive. Uh, sorry, <laughs> quick break. I was having this weird stomach growling thing. Edit, edit, edit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, so, going back. So, Jack, I want to touch back on on home building for just a second. Um, you know, it was several of us on staff did participate in a group build quite a few years ago. And, um, and then of course, you know, Ty and I writing for the magazines and other, other venues and stuff. We're talking to people all the time, uh, myself included, who would say, you know, I'm not sure what end of the hammer to hit the rivet with. Sure. You know, that kind of thing. Um, but participating in that. Which is really tough because it was a composite airplane, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, it was, exactly. And it went straight through the fabric, which wasn't even supposed to be on there. But... Um, but having said that, uh, the time I spent on that build project and watching an airplane come together and fly was 
certainly one of the most rewarding things uh, that I can remember doing in, in aviation. And I think it's, it's interesting to me that uh, I mentioned a minute ago, we write about people like this all the time who come and say, boy, I, you know, I really didn't have any experience. I didn't think I could do it. And then their advice is always, you know, just, just go for it. But you know, the, the, uh, the magic ingredient there is always the help and support that they get. Absolutely. Um, it, you know, if you're in the right place and the right time, you know, and if you're, you're lucky, you've got a good, strong EAA chapter who can help you and support you through that. And, guide you to that incredibly rewarding experience whereas if you were just left on your own uh then you might have an unfinished kit in your basement you know forever which happens all the time which is which mm-hmm. is really unfortunate so the idea of of being able to uh not only continue to encourage people to do it and watch the chapters build up support around it but the idea of of uh of formalizing that assistance and uh opening that experience up to even more people i, I think is fantastic yeah, we, we really feel it's also kind of recognizing what's actually going on out there also, um, sure. which we want everybody to play above board. Absolutely. So then just a, a couple of the things you mentioned, sort of the safety issues not related to, you know, the integrity of the airplane. Um, when it comes to loss of control, of course, this year we did our fourth Founders Innovation Prize on Tuesday at AirVenture. And then in 2020, we'll be heading into the grand finale. And then as well this year, we launched the... Um, EAA flight test manual to help with those first 40 hours and instead of just burning holes in the sky, sort of using that time for a reason. Do you want to talk about those measures and and why EAA is so committed to helping with safety? You know, we owe it to our community to to be the leaders in promoting safety because if, if if our community is not safe, we're going to get regulated out of the, the joy and love that we have for this recreational flying that we do. Um, and we also find that safety becomes a, a if you don't have a good safety it becomes an impediment for getting other people involved if, if they think if you know it has a sense of being unsafe so we are are really working hard to improve the safety records the the flight test manual that was created was a a first step in in looking at the accident histories of new airplanes that were being built that in the first 40 hours there were there's typically bugs are found and issues associated with the fuel systems and other things. And the flight test manuals to help you get through that successfully. We also successfully worked with the FAA to be able to make a change to the regs that would allow a second pilot in for your first flight, which we're not encouraging that you're taking friends for a flight on that first flight, but you're taking an experienced individual that knows that airplane, the configuration has experience and time and want to go with you to help. You know, you think about it, you build an airplane, takes years to do it. You probably haven't even been staying as current as you should. You've never flown that maker model. What could be better than bringing somebody with you that really understands it well? The flight test manual then gives you a very clear roadmap of specific tasks that you need to accomplish during flight tests. So you're just not going up and flying in circles and burning off 40 hours. So you're understanding the airplane. You're understanding the performance. You're documenting it. And the outcome of that as a result is then you have a, a POH when you're done but it has real numbers associated with what your airplane actually did from a performance standpoint. The FAA was just excited as heck when they saw and see what we're doing. The kit manufacturers also are including it with some of their kits. It's gotten a, a real uh, strong accolades and following. We're going to continue on. Our next step is to deal with a, a manual that, that – the, 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 let me back up a little bit here. The, the EAB – community is now so mature that we have a lot of second and third owners that people have built airplanes they've sold them they've gone into building another one and these new owners didn't have any part of the building process they don't understand the airplane 
they don't have maybe any time in that airplane and and they're kind of off the radar. We don't know who they are because they didn't purchase it from a manufacturer. They purchased it from an individual. Creating a manual that helps them with that transition into that new airplane that they've just bought that they're not familiar with to help that second ownership experience be as safe as it possibly can be. So that's a, a continuation of our flight test manual going forward. You know, that idea that we've got airplanes now, as you said, that are going on their second and third owners is is – sort of hard to imagine yet it's right out there you know staring us in the face and uh, we see it all the time you know, one of our columnists lisa turner is writing about that very thing in the uh, february issue of sport aviation so we're recording this in mid-december but we're actually sort of rapidly wrapping up the february issue and uh, she's got a lot of great tips and a lot of advice in there on you know if you're going to be a second or third buyer you know what do you do what do you look for what are the checklists you go through and uh, I think it's great to see us uh, to see us encouraging that because that's uh, that's another very affordable pathway into aviation. It's just uh, it just may be a little bit different than you know than going and buying a used uh, Part Twenty Three airplane. And it's a hot market. I had a friend the other day that's been dying to buy a an RV eight um, in the secondhand market, and he said every time one comes up for sale, they 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 go very very quick, and you, he's he's missed out on like three of them, and he's getting pretty frustrated. Isn't that remarkable? Well, now speaking of columns in uh, and your column in December, you, uh, you you teased us just a little bit at the very end about uh, about a mysterious project with a code name, Project Twenty One. Do you want to share anything uh, anything more about that? Uh, no. Okay. Uh, no. No. <laughs> that's actually, all the time we have. I, I, I was going to give you a bad time, House. Said I thought this was the the twenty nineteen wrap up. So I guess well, we could we could put at the Project end of twenty nineteen. We talked as a you launch. Talked yeah. about uh, the launch of this. So Project Twenty One is the the code name is associated with uh, an addition that we're making to the EA Museum uh, to be complete in the year twenty twenty one, and we hope to actually start the actual physical construction of it here when the the ground thaws come. July, hopefully, hopefully by <laughs> by Easter, um, it's a it's going to be a two story addition that's that is very specifically defined. With the first floor is going to be a proficiency center, and you're when you and you know okay that sounds interesting. Why? What's that all about, Jack? Last four years at Air Venture on our what we call the four corners by the member area, we've had a proficiency center that has thirteen simulators in it. Um, it's again trying to take our VMC clubs and IMC club content and again promote proficiency flying again to enhance safety in aviation, which we feel strongly that that's one of the, the flags we should be carrying. Uh, it will be a full-time year-round facility that type clubs, CFI renewals, uh, individual seminars, people can come and do training in this proficiency center. Uh, which we're, we think is a, a proper use of assets that we use only one week a year at our venture to be able to use them year-round. The second floor will be dedicated to what we think has been uh, one of the, I think, one of the finest features of Air Venture every year, which is called Kid Venture. And it's our hands-on STEM learning uh, where you go station to station involved in aviation activities, whether it be building a rib to learning about aerodynamics to uh, you name it. And we've we've been thinking how do we how do we do that year round? Our museum is a, a contains a lot of history and artifacts, but it doesn't have this hands on learning makers areas and places for kids to have that. And so we're going to try to take what we learned from Kid Venture and replicate it on the second floor, but also have it be rotating so that you can freshen up the the things for kids, so we can get school groups in year round and 
and make it a full educational STEM air, or kid venture year-round type of activity, which we're very, very excited about. And so we're in the fundraising phase right now. Uh, there will be a Lots of opportunities for those of you listening to be able to participate in the fundraising. We've had a lead gift that has already come in by the Ray Foundation um, that has given us the opportunity to really get to a position where we can launch and actually start construction in the beginning of the year. That's fantastic. That is terrific. And for more on the entire project and, and everything, you can look for a feature story from yours truly uh, early next year, maybe early this year as you hear this in sport aviation. But that was shameless. Now, your name is Ty Windish. 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 Yes. Yes. Assistant editor? Assistant, assistant editor. Assistant to the senior yeah. editor? We can just say assistant editor. Could we just leave it at that? I we suppose. Could. Assistant we could. to the original manager? full feature? I mean, were you really showing your skills? And, and if I, if Is I, this going to be like what you do during AirVenture when all those wonderful articles you write in AirVenture today? It'll be a little longer than those, I think. Okay. <laughs> um you know, speaking of AirVenture today, AirVenture itself, it's amazing. We got this far in the podcast without talking more specifically about AirVenture. Obviously, we had a terrific year this past year for 50 years in Osh. I think everybody, pretty much everybody had a great time, despite some early weather issues. <laughs> we got through it. Um, looking back on that a little bit, but also looking forward, what's in the works so far for 2020 for this next AirVenture? First, a couple comments. First of all, the fact we've got this far through the podcast, I think, shows that EA is more than just AirVenture. Um, we really are a 51 weeks of incredible stuff that we do around the country to promote aviation and get people to participate in aviation. And then AirVenture is kind of the crowning event, which, as you you, you certainly minimized. I didn't remember seeing you standing with me in Camp Scholar in our galoshes on uh, Friday and Saturday when the deluge came and it looked like it was going to turn into Sloshkosh 2. But fortunately, <laughs> the, the land hardened up and we got through the week with a record attendance of over 640,000 people, uh, record number of exhibitors, uh, forms. It, it, it was a really special year uh, and it turned out to be great weather through the remainder of the year. For next year, we're already at a point now where we start making announcements. So we have... Uh, committed the Snowbirds, which is the Canadian military demonstration team that's celebrating their 50th anniversary, will be there. And it's 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 the most graceful ballet-like flying that's really beautiful to watch and and thrilling at the same time when you see is it nine ships, yes. nine ships wingtip to wingtip, nine vintage airplanes vintage, actually, yeah. like the Candid Air Tutors. Um, and, and that's going to be kind of the the weekend, the end of the week weekend. Uh, big big act, um, which you know, just as a side note, the, in the discussions with them coming this year, they're going to bring two of the ships and put them in the campground at a location to be determined, and the entire team is going to camp on Wednesday night in, out on the flight lane somewhere, which is... That's so cool. It is, and they're just so committed to EA, which is, which is fun. It's the 75th anniversary of the end of World War II. Um, we have a week, kind of a midweek, but week-long... We're going to put a lot of different things into the air of World War II assets, commemorating certain specific conflicts that occurred, uh, telling the story and the history, which will be really, really special and dynamic that, that year. And then, of course, you know, a host of things going on at Theater in the Woods and the forms and, and uh, throughout the flight lines with Vintage and IEC and Warbirds and home-built area. Uh, it's really shaping up quite nicely. In fact, uh, after as soon as we're done recording this, a couple of us are headed to a 
right into a meeting to work on scheduling for both the theater in the woods and fly in theater and you know what's most important for 2020 air venture what's that jack anybody up to the age of 18 will be admitted free absolutely and that will be a commitment that boeing uh, has made to us the boeing company is committed for two years to help underwrite um, the ability for us along we'll be participating also um, to be able to have anyone up to the age 18 free admits and, and we believe again getting back to the youth initiatives um, we talk about how important it is, and we said this is our chance to really demonstrate it by encouraging young people to come out and really see what this wonderful world of all things aviation is about. Well, and I know I, also from, from hearing you speak during and after last air venture, the importance of you know seeing families at this event, not just the kids, but just a family focus, make it more affordable for families. That was part of this too, wasn't it? It, it was. Um, you know, we, we, we're we're really down to earth in a down to earth group and we know the financial hurdles of coming here we know what it's like to raise families we we've been there you you save your money it's a big commitment um what could be better to help kind of reduce the the hurdle of getting in to bring uh, mom and dad now can bring the kid or instead of having just dad and a kid now mom and dad and the kids can all come and we're getting great responses back. you know i watch it with my son and his wife and their four kids and it's like whoo boy that's a big ticket to <laughs> come see what dad's playground's like <laughs> but <laughs> of which he's you know always eager if i'm going to pay for it for well, of course. this way i'm giving yes. him the opportunity to only pay for himself and his wife but <laughs> this one's for you ryan yeah but i you know it i came to air venture with my dad many many years ago and it, it is life-changing and I, I know that sounds like a cliche but it is and and where we're at today with air venture is to you know you can't it takes a week to see everything, to get involved in everything and do everything. And we need to make that available to light that spark in the next generation of people involved in aviation from flying to mechanics, to accountants, to what marketing people, whatever it takes to see that this is a, a exciting field to be involved in. That really was uh, thrilling news when, uh, when we first heard about that whole initiative, because we've, we've uh, always done free admission for five and under, but now it's ages six to 18. Uh, you still need a wristband, but that wristband is free. Yeah, it's online now. You can go ahead and, and uh, go on to our w- website and order the the, uh, the free admission and, and get that in advance, which is what we're encouraging so that the lines at the queue are not or at the front gate aren't going to be too too insane. But uh, I think for mom and dad, it's a good chance to also uh, mom, dad, uncles, aunts, friends, neighbors who are involved in aviation is a good chance for you to kind of think about that kid that you think is somewhat interested, now there's no excuse not to bring them along. You know, speaking of admissions, and this isn't really apropos of anything, but uh, I do want to give a quick plug for what I think is one of the uh, best-kept secrets of an EAA membership, and that is our ASTC Passport Program. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've had, had much chance to use it, Jack. but I have. My wife and I had family in not too long ago, uh, a total of uh, six of us, with uh, four adults and uh, and two kids, and we went down to some museums in Chicago, and, and with two EA memberships, uh, admission was was free to everything we went down there and we wanted to do. And I added it up later, and it was about three hundred dollars. It saved us for just for having these two forty dollar EA memberships. And I apologize if this sounds like a commercial and a plug, but it made me think of it, and and I, I share it every chance I get because I think. I, You'd be you'd be foolish not to just go and and find ways to take advantage of it, or yeah. if you're not a member, join. You know, and you shouldn't have to apologize. It's it's really showing people that there's here's an opportunity to be able to get out to other places at a more affordable price. But my 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 kid kids um, 
to live in Kansas City. They went up to Chicago to the Museum of Science and History, and it was good for them to get in free. Yeah. Uh, when they come down to Wichita, we have Exploration Place, which is a wonderful museum that honors that. that and it makes a big difference when you're talking to some of these, you know, four kids and 35 bucks to get in the door adds up quick. It really does. And then all they're free with your EA membership. So if you haven't looked into that one, you've really got to got to check that one out. So, Jack, as we come to the end of uh, end of this episode, uh, we'll ask you probably the, the hardest question of the day. And that is uh, <laughs> if you could sit and uh, and just deliver a single personal message to to every one of, uh, of our members around the world looking back at 2019, uh, what would you say? Well, I think I would say that I hope on your behalf you're seeing that we are working very, very hard to deliver the programs, the content, the publications, the event, um, the advocacy in Washington to, to protect, uh, to encourage and, and create aviation enthusiasts. And on, we're doing that all on your behalf. Uh, it's, it, it is truly for you. It's a labor of love for us. We feel uh, it's an obligation on your behalf. And I think for 2019, we were really darn successful in delivering on that and, and very excited to see what more can we do in 2020. Terrific. Well, Jack, thank you again for taking time out of your busy schedule to join us. Um, it was uh, always fun to have uh, producer Ty come out from behind the board and and join us on the mic. He's uh, an avid and experienced podcaster, as you can tell. Uh, the rest of us just stumble along and, and fake it as best as we can. So <laughs> glad, to, glad to have you uh, sharing this with us, Ty. Thanks, as always, everyone out there uh, for listening. Thanks to GE Aviation uh, for being our sponsors. We uh, really appreciate the feedback that we get, the ratings we get on iTunes, the email we get at feedback at eaa.org the comments that go up on the blog post when these episodes go live at inspired.ea.org uh, so please do keep those reviews and those comments coming uh, those mean the world to us and it's uh, it's specifically for those reasons that we get the positive feedback that we're able to continue doing this show so with that our thanks once again to all of you for listening and we look forward to catching up to you next time when you're cleared to land on the green dot <laughs>